Thanks, Austin, for reading that passage so nicely to us. Um, I wonder, perhaps this is a story like me that you've heard a hundred times, uh, beginning from maybe when you were a little girl or a little boy, or maybe this is a story that you've heard for the first time today. Well, I heard a story about a Sunday school teacher who was telling this story, the story of the Good Samaritan to her class of around about four and five-year-olds. And as she told it, she made it as vivid as she possibly could to try and keep the kids engaged. And partway through, she stopped and she asked them, so you saw a person lying on the roadside, all wounded and bleeding, what would you do? And an awkward silence fell across the class. And then a very thoughtful little girl broke the silence. She said, I think I throw up. Well, you'd probably be pleased to know that I don't have any plans at all to, to retell that story in the way that the Sunday school teacher did. So go ahead and enjoy your coffee and, and your breakfast. When I read this story, I find myself instantly drawn to the man, the Good Samaritan. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is really just steer our focus to him and just to think about what he did and who he really is. So there are four things that really stand out to me and that I really notice about the Samaritan. The first thing is that he's an unlikely hero. So when Jesus told this story to, to the religious scholar and what would have been a, a Jewish audience, I'm absolutely certain that they'd been, they would have been pretty shocked and pretty surprised about the fact that it was the Samaritan who stopped to help. See, what Jesus did here is he totally turned the story over on its head. Perhaps those who were listening to the story thought there had been a major casting mishap because those that we expect to be the heroes of the story, the priest and the Levite, well, they just looked away. They passed by and they did nothing. Would they have expected them to stop and help? Wouldn't we have expected them to stop and help? But here we have it. It's an absolute twist in the casting. It's the Samaritan, someone absolutely hated by the Jews, who would have been typecast into the role of the villain, who's the hero, the good guy, the saviour of the day. Well, that would most definitely have left Jesus's listeners slightly baffled, confused, and without a doubt, challenged. How could such goodness possibly come from someone so hated? The villain became the hero. The Samaritan was an unlikely hero. The second thing I notice about the Samaritan is that he was proactive. You see, he noticed what had happened and he did something about it. He came where the man was, he saw the man, he saw exactly what was needed. He was proactive. Doesn't say in this story, uh, the man called for help and then the Samaritan came over. And it doesn't say in the story, the Samaritan spent five to 10 minutes thinking about what he should do. He could easily have thought that someone else would probably be helping this guy. He wouldn't have known that they'd all walk by. But what we see in the story is that the Samaritan, our hero, he saw exactly what was needed and he came by to help. He was proactive. Thirdly, we see that the Samaritan was compassionate. He showed pity, not the kind of pity that kind of has a, a, a negative undertone. This wasn't a, a pity that came with an implied edge of superiority. It was a deep and empathetic feeling of sorrow and of compassion caused by the suffering and misfortunes of this man who'd been robbed, beaten and left half dead in a ditch at the side of the road. How easy could it have been for him to just have crossed over the road 
like the priest and the Levite did. No one else would even have known. I doubt that if they did, they wouldn't even have criticised him for doing that. But he didn't. When we look at the Samaritan, what we see is a man, someone who was totally different to him and who more than likely hated him, show, show him nothing but kindness and compassion. You see, the, the Samaritan, he was prepared to put himself in the other man's shoes. He understood what was needed. He wasn't judgmental. He wasn't even hesitant. He just simply helped him. Maybe, perhaps he asked himself, what will happen if I don't help? Perhaps he simply just treated him the way he would have wanted to have been treated himself. He didn't judge him, he didn't criticise him, he wasn't prejudiced against him, he saw someone in need and he stepped in to help. This story doesn't read, uh, he walked over and, and he re when he realised the man was a Jew, he walked away and left him. What it says is, he took pity on him and then he helped him. The Samaritan was compassionate. The final thing I notice about our good Samaritan is that he was completely and utterly selfless. Simply by stopping by to help, he was probably putting himself at risk of getting robbed, beaten up, and, and left for half dead for himself. He actually made himself vulnerable. What would have happened if the robbers came back? But he stopped. He bandaged the man's wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. He put him on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn. The Samaritan, the unlikely hero of our story, was quite unlike the priest and the Levite. He was prepared to be inconvenienced and prepared to take a risk to do the right thing. I'm pretty sure he had somewhere he needed to be that day. Couldn't just pull out his mobile phone, call ahead and say, sorry lads, I'm running a bit late. And there would more than likely have been a cost for the time that he was willing to give. But you know what? He was generous with his time. He would have taken far less time and cost him far less if he just stopped, threw the man on the back of the donkey, dropped him off at the inn, said, see you later, mate, I'm running late. But that isn't what he did either. You see, the Samaritan stopped and he spent the time. He was also willing to give up his own resources. He used his own bandages. He poured out his own wine and his own oil on the man's wounds and then he spent his own cash and he paid the bill at the inn. He paid the price fair and square, didn't even try and haggle with the innkeeper. And even more than that, he said he would come back and pay for anything else that that man needed. The Samaritan was selfless. So, our good Samaritan was an unlikely hero, proactive, compassionate and selfish. Selfless. I should definitely say he was definitely not selfish. He was selfless. We all want to be that Samaritan, don't we? Well, unfortunately we can't because that part's already been cast because that's Jesus. 1 John 4:19 says this. It says, we love because he first loved us. And just like the good Samaritan, Jesus knows exactly what we need and he wants to give us that. Jesus didn't just love us and leave us. He said he'd come back, and he will. Now, this story ends with a commandment to go and do likewise, to go and love like Jesus does. 
I wonder what it might look like to live that out. Let me tell you about my mate, Claire. Claire was going into hospital for an operation and she knew that when she was going to be discharged, she'd need to take a lot of rest, maybe even be bed bound for a week. And that first week when she came home, it was going to be a, a real challenge for her husband, Rob. He was going to need to work full time, look after her and take care of their little daughter. And she had a group of friends who really understood and, and recognised that. And they also knew that Claire was a little bit proud and she didn't like to ask for help. And so if they offered help, they also knew she was pretty much guaranteed to politely turn that down to. So they made a decision. Claire's mates were proactive. They didn't offer any help to her with the possibility of it being turned down. They just said to Claire that they decided to support her and her family after, the, after her operation. Basically, they said, Claire, we're dropping around dinner at your place every night next week. It's not something you can say thanks, but no thanks to. We're doing it, and we're doing it because we love you. And this is a way for us to show that Jesus loves you too. So reluctantly, Claire accepted that offer. Well, I can't begin to tell you what a difference that, that small and, and simple act of love from Claire's friends made to her. But what I do know, that is if you were to speak to her, I'm absolutely sure she'd tell you how much of a blessing she received from it. So much so that actually, she's become a, a little bit of an unsung hero herself, dropping off unexpected meals and blessings to others. <clears throat> As Christians, we should absolutely strive to be proactive, perceptive, compassionate and selfish, and to put ourselves out for others. But actually, we're called to do more. We're called to do more than just a bit of good. We're called to give the best possible gift, to share the love of Jesus and to bring others to know and love him. We need to meet both the needs of the body and the needs of the soul. In Matthew 4.4, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted Deuteronomy 4.4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. A little while back, um, I heard a talk that, that Pete Gregg gave, and in it, he said this. If your heart is for the poor, and your heart is to fill people with physical food, then you make sure to attending to making sure that you give something spiritual and eternal to people. Otherwise, you're just a glorified social worker with a fish sticker on your forehead. And if on the other hand, you are someone who loves to worship and loves to preach and loves to see people saved, but in reality, you don't do much to campaign and to change lives and to speak up for the poor and the oppressed, then you better do something because the scriptures say very clearly that if we don't care for people's real practical, physical, sociological and economic needs, then we're, in just some, then we're just in some kind of pharisaical religion we have to hold the two together. So, as we go through this season of Lent, let's look to Jesus and to all that he did for us. Let's listen and let's respond to God as he calls us back to him. Joel 2.12 says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. And then, when we've listened... And as we respond to him, maybe we can look with his eyes 
for people who, the, who we can come alongside. A bit like that Good Samaritan, where can we be? An unlikely or even an unsung hero, proactive, compassionate and selfless and ultimately bring the hope of Jesus. We could be the only prospect of bringing someone to know the love of Jesus. I wonder, what will you do? How will you choose to respond?